0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, one month in, President Biden's first 100 days. Former senior advisor to President Obama, Valerie Jarrett is unpacking stimulus plans and outlook for success.
1: I think what Americans are gonna sit around in 100 days and say, is our country on the right track? Is President Biden focusing on our needs? Is he helping us meet our ends and make sure that we can provide for our families?
0: And another day, another Bitcoin roller coaster. The big personalities and the big losses in this wild crypto ride.
2: There's accounting and there's, whoa, I just lost my shirt.
0: Plus, Facebook News is back on track down under. And another SPAC-tastic story, complete with electric vehicles and a 30% plunge.
3: Does anybody have a bell? This might be the day to ring the bell on SPACs.
0: Mm, my thank
3: you, thank you so much.
0: It's Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. SquawkPod begins right now. Good morning
4: everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross
0: Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, Bitcoin, again, Bitcoin. The world's most valuable digital coin has plunged more than 15% in the last day after hitting huge numbers, topping $50,000 in value and a market cap of over a trillion. On Monday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen had a warning about Bitcoin for our Andrew Ross Sorkin at the New York Times Dealbook DC Policy
1: Project. I don't think that Bitcoin, I've said this before, is widely used as a transaction mechanism. To the extent it's used, I fear it's um, often for illicit finance. Um, It's an extremely inefficient way of um, conducting transactions, and the amount of energy that's consumed in processing those transactions is staggering. But it is a highly speculative asset, and um, you know I think people should should beware. Um, it it's can be extremely volatile, and um, you know I do worry I do worry about potential losses that investors in it could suffer.
0: So the inefficiency is actually about electricity. Mining Bitcoin requires users to solve complex math problems using high-powered computers. One estimate of energy consumption is that Bitcoin mining leaves an annual carbon footprint equal to New Zealand. On the other side of that Bitcoin, the recent price volatility. Companies that accept it for payment, like Tesla, are under pressure. Elon Musk's electric car company announced a purchase of $150 billion worth of the cryptocurrency earlier this month, as well as plans plans to accept Bitcoin for car purchases. Yesterday, the company's stock suffered its biggest single day drop since September, down eight and a half percent.
4: Joe and Andrew, it was just yesterday that we were talking about how Tesla could be making more money from their Bitcoin investment—that right. one that one and a half billion dollars that they put in in January than they'd be making in all of their cars together. It, of course, that depends on the direction of Bitcoin.
3: And goes to the whole volatility it, it issue, does. right? And here we are. Yep. We're seeing the volatility. What I was just going to mention is the way, and but this is important for investors who are investing in Tesla who are thinking about Bitcoin, the way they account for it is actually very unique. They actually right. don't write they it don't up. They don't make money. That's the, so if right. they make money in Bitcoin, they actually don't write it up. It, it will not be reflected in the results per se. However, if, if it they falls lose, below, they below do. where they had bought it at, it is reflected uh, in the numbers. And and that's an interesting sort of facet mm-hmm. of how companies are starting to think about how you account for this stuff, but it's uh it's, it's fascinating. That's uh, that, that, out, you know, That's but my bullet that's my investment
4: profits. Like Berkshire does it. No, yeah, right. but they, like but, why but not just do it like Berkshire a, does there, it where you brought out op- operating profit from investments.
2: Right. And there's accounting and there's Whoa! I just lost my shirt. I mean, you know, well, accounting. Uh, blah, blah, you, know, you either lose it or you it don't. I mean, again. you put the money in, so yeah. so I don't care how you account for it. You know what I mean? It's like uh, you own enough of that stuff, and it starts doing this. I don't get that'll get your attention. Just just like the opposite. But uh, you know, forty-seven were like, oh my God, forty-seven. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> it,
5: it, <laughs> I, I, I remember twenty-eight
2: thousand. Everybody. Everybody was on when it was at 28,000 and Melissa and other people I think Santoli and they said well would you buy the 20 28,000 after it's gone up here? And I go well I don't know if I'd buy at 28,000 so you know what do you you know and then it went 30,000 higher than that It's nutty uh, and all in what a month less than a month well, All in a month so,
3: and so and then you start to think would, could it would it, uh, it you know these folk these folks who want to accept 20, it as 20? a, as a okay. currency you start to think about that. Right. How could how, you? How could you?
2: Well, how could yeah. you? You're talking well, about right, like the a city, transactional city of Miami. I thought that d- that d- was d- like vehicle. the show. You're the talking start about a, moment. D- 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 You've got to differentiate between a currency. And something that you use for transactions for a currency, if you're holding it on your balance sheet, you may just be doing it as a almost like you, you talk about short term treasuries would be a currency. Or maybe you think long term treasuries or maybe you think gold is some, you, know, you may not use it for a transaction, but you may want it representing dollars on your balance sheet, representing currency. But, but it doesn't mean you're using it for a transaction all the time. That's what's my only point. No, because but that's it's just, why it may the, be a store the value, city of value of Miami.
4: Right. The, the city of Miami, though, that's one that I thought was just the craziest. The idea that they said that if you're an employee right. of the city and you want to get paid in Bitcoin, you could do that. Like wh- what?
3: <laughs> it's just, an, it's just okay, another well, marketing gimmick. It's just another because that's what's, we're uh, in the we're in the La La Land now, don't you think? I mean, the, the, re- no, the only Heidi, thing I was going
2: to we, we were already go ahead. Heidi, Heidi Klum was in La La Land five years ago. Remember, or not five, but Heidi Klum, remember, she, she wanted to be paid in, or was it euros? It was one or the other. I thought that was in euros. <laughs> I think it was, that, it wasn't one?
4: bitcoins. That was, yeah, was, was
2: a... sell and Heidi
4: Klum. But I thought someone, it was in euros. Right? So that was athletes, like 15 years ago.
2: But athletes, right, athletes and such, I've seen one be but, paid, but even been, wanted to get paid in, in bitcoin. Recently, but even to the How extent that we've heard go. about
3: PayPal or we've heard about PayPal or others that are going to allow merchants to to accept Bitcoin. Now, in that case, they're planning to transact the Bitcoin immediately into dollars. But just any time you hear of a company, including Tesla, saying you can buy a car in Bitcoin, I don't know. Is that is that real? Yeah, is it marketing? What 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 is that?
2: that that's uh I don't know. I, I, I have seen, I told you, I was driving along in, in Springfield and I, I, I went past a nail place or a, a salon that said, we, we accept Bitcoin. So it, it, there are All some things right. And it was Russell Okung. Uh, Carolina Panthers became the first professional athlete to have at least part <laughs> of a salary paid uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, half of his $13 million wow. salary will be paid in crypto. And that was in December of 2020. So... Russell, well, I hope they bought the crypto uh, at that point. Well, right. that's what I mean. Russell, it, them, but right. if he gets paid in December for his, his he just doubled or crippled his $13 million salary. Uh, okay. Me- I don't, meantime. I, I, would anyone be shocked at 25, 20,000 on Bitcoin again? Would anyone be know. shocked at that? And then, right. But for anyone 470? that didn't, you know, that watched it at 57, would people, buy, would, would, would normal people, like you guys, would you start buying at, at, at 20 if you could? I don't know. 15? I think Mohammed says eight. it right. I if you've missed them. a
4: moment, then you wait. You want to wait for it to come back. You know, like Mohammed always says, right. well, right. mentally, it's hard to get around the right. point where you could have bought it or you did sell it.
2: Muhammad might be um, waiting for a while. I, I, but who knows? I don't know. We'll see. We've got some
3: other news to bring in this morning. Facebook just reaching an agreement with Australia's government This is going to restore news pages in the country. This is just days after restricting them. The social network said the government agreed to a number of changes that address concerns about Facebook's relationship with publishers. Specifically, the government will continue uh, or, or rather will take into account commercial deals that digital platforms may have already made with news media businesses before deciding if the law applies. And Facebook retains control of which news sites appear on its platform so it can opt out of forced arbitration by removing a site. Now, the changes were introduced into a bill that is expected to be voted into law soon. But it it seems in this case, guys, that Facebook is the winner uh, of this. Just a week ago, um, they were pulling out in large part because uh, the the government uh, wouldn't uh, make it make a deal on their terms. And it appears that um, the Australian government to some degree blinked.
4: Yeah. And I, I wonder what yep. that means for Google, yeah. which at the same time Facebook was saying, forget about this, was was going ahead and signing deals on its own with News Corp and others um, based right. on the idea that this law was going to be coming to pass.
3: It's going to be very interesting to see. And, you know, a lot of people were looking at the Australia model to say, is that what's going to come to Europe? Is that what's going to come to the United States? Um,
2: clearly, uh, it's already getting watered down. All right. Dow component. Home Depot. A lot of stuff to do to talk about here. Number one, the home improvement uh, retailer beat by 3 cents. Quarterly earnings of 265 a share. Revenue also came in above estimates. Comparable store sales were up 24.5% for the quarter. Yeah, no benefit from uh, stay at home there. Compared to analyst estimates of 19.2%. The company though is not providing guidance uh, for 2021, citing the uncertainty uh, related to the duration of the pandemic and its influence uh, on consumers, uh, also raised the dividend ten uh, percent uh, at Home Depot, and and, and ticket the price, uh, what they sell to people that went up nicely uh, as well. But uh, those numbers are amazing, are they not? The
4: guidance is is really important. No, it's it's incredible. You start looking at the what was it, twenty four point whatever it was percent for the comp store sales for all of 2020. They came, yeah, they came in with comp store sales in the U. S. of better than 20 percent, and they're not giving guidance, and that's the big question: Will people continue to spin like this once the economy hopefully opens up, if that happens this year? Um, But the CFO says that they were pleased with this performance, and as they look into fiscal 2021. They can't predict how consumer spending will evolve, but if the demand environment during the back half of fiscal 2020 were to persist through fiscal 2021, it would imply flat to slightly positive comparable sales growth and an operating margin of at least 14 percent. And that's going to be important. Nobody knows what happens with this. but there's a lot of money in, in certain areas out there. People aren't spending on things like going out, going on vacation, going out to restaurants, going out for entertainment. They're doing it and putting it into their homes, and that's the big question: Will this continue through this year?
2: And who knows? I uh, what was I doing? Oh yeah, mm, plunger. I, I you know I have fixed this one toilet before <laughs> by just rehooking the uh, rehooking a little chain to the plunger, you fixed and uh, you um, know it, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened. Well, it happened again. Know. And I said, I got this. I, I, I can fix this. But the plunger itself at the top, it ripped through the little thing where the, so I I, I had to come out.
1: At the top or every, the Everybody bottom?
2: was there after I, the, the plunger, it, it, you know, it's got the little tab on top that into it goes into. Tank. It's yeah. rubber. But if you pull it right yeah. through it, you can't get the thing. So we're going to need a, you know, $250, uh, we got about six toys, but we're going to need a 200. So it's, it's not like it's, you know, don't worry about it. Anyway, coming up, but I, that was my do it your. That was my home. Uh, it's just not good for me, the DIY market. And that 24 and a half percent at Home Depot includes zero from me and Andrew.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the longest-serving presidential senior advisor in history, Valerie Jarrett. She was a fixture in President Obama's administration, and now she's weighing in on President Biden's first 100 days.
1: On the minimum wage, I guess, Becky, the question is, who can raise their family on $7.25? We have not raised the minimum wage since 2009.
0: We'll be right back This is Squawk
3: Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Dorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. House Democrats moving forward with President Biden's new stimulus bill. And Elon Moy joins us now with more on that. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Andrew. The House is preparing to vote on the relief package by the end of the week. It passed the Budget Committee last night. Next stop is the Rules Committee, and then it'll head on to the floor. Now, this is expected to pass the House fairly easily, likely along party lines, as Republicans slam this bill as too big and too broad. Now, President Biden has indicated that he is still willing to hear ideas from the other side, but he also points out that his plan enjoys strong public support As is.
3: Now, critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question What would you have me cut? What would you leave out?
6: Well, one of the main provisions that the Republicans point to is raising the minimum wage. And there are at least two Senate Democrats, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who are against increasing it to $15 an hour. Democrats cannot afford to lose either of their votes on this larger package. Now, tomorrow, both sides will square off over whether raising the wage is even allowed under the special rules that Democrats are using to pass this bill We still have not seen the Senate's own version of the broader legislation. But Andrew, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer expressed confidence yesterday that they can get this done and out the door before those enhanced unemployment benefits expire on March 14th. Back to you.
3: Okay, Ilan, thank you so very, very much. Appreciate it. Becky?
4: Thanks, Andrew. Joining us right now to talk more about the stimulus effort, President Biden's first month in office and his first hundred days is Valerie Jarrett. Of course, you know, she was President Obama's senior advisor from 2009 to 2017, and she now serves as the president of the Barack Obama Foundation. She's also a senior distinguished fellow at the University of Chicago Law School and the author of Finding My Voice. When the perfect plan crumbles, the adventure begins. Valerie, truer words were never spoken. We're watching that happen in the nation right now, too. It's great to see you here today. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Becky. Hello, everyone.
4: So we are uh, just over a month in to President Biden's term. And I know we're still on the honeymoon period of all of these things. But what would you say so far? There are two big issues that had to be tackled. One would be the rollout of the COVID vaccine. And the second is this COVID relief bill that's uh, kind of caught up, it looks, at this point. But what would you say so far about that first month?
1: I'd say President Biden is off to a very strong start. Uh, He has stayed true to his commitments, focusing on containing the coronavirus and rebuilding our economy. He's surrounded himself with a team that is not only experienced with subject matter expertise, but competent and dedicated public servants. He's moving his cabinet through um, confirmation process um, very well. And he has made a commitment to always look through the lens of what does this mean to the American people, I think the stimulus package coupled with redoubling the efforts to get the vaccine out and into the arms of the American people demonstrates that that's what he's thinking about each and every day. So a very strong start.
4: You know, that stimulus package is going to be the big issue that people are watching so closely. And as Elon just uh, pointed out, there are two Democratic senators who have raised issues with at least part of what they're going to see in that bill, the $15 minimum wage. What do you think happens? Um, does this bill get slimmed down? Does that get taken out? What, what would be your guesswork, having watched this for years in the
1: White House? Well, I certainly hope not. Look, the Republicans raised concerns about the stimulus package back in 2009. And we now know that it was really important to not only have what, what ultimately got passed, but it probably should have been larger. And on the minimum wage, I guess, Becky, the question is, who can raise their family on $7.25? we have not raised the minimum wage since 2009. And we know that those who are in the lower income bracket, if we do raise their wages, they will go out and spend those resources immediately because of needs that have been unmet. And you think about what's going on around our country, and Fed Chairman Janet Yellen mentioned this yesterday on your show. You have 12 million people worrying about losing their homes. We have 12 million children who are hungry, 24 million adults who are hungry. So there's a huge disconnect between the performance of the stock market and what's happening in our families around the country, not to mention having hit the 500,000 Americans who um, have died from the COVID-19. So this is a time of great crisis, and I think what President Biden will try to do is move the full stimulus package along. He has said he's open to ideas, but I think he put it well yesterday. What would you cut? What would you cut? It's hard to face the American people who support the package and say make cuts. Valerie, no
4: question, there there is a tale of two economies in this country, and you are right. The economy is not reflected in what's happening in the stock market. There are a lot of people are, who are suffering right now. But if the aim is to get the most urgent things out in terms of making sure you get COVID vaccine money, making sure that you get money out to the schools to reopen, making sure that you extend unemployment so that people who are without jobs will continue to get that federal boost, all of those very important things for people who are truly in, in, in dire need right now Why add something like the $15 minimum wage, which is controversial, even with some of the senators that the Democrats will have to rely on, Democratic senators who are coming up for this? And while it's an argument that you could make, it's pretty tough to say that this is directly something that needs to happen with COVID relief, particularly with small businesses that have really suffered through all of this, too.
1: Well, what you're trying to do is not only address the issue of the pandemic, but you're trying to rebuild our economy. And so that goes back to my earlier point. Americans who are making seven dollars and twenty-five cents a year uh, an hour are not supporting the economy. We want them to have that disposable income so that they too can help stimulate the economy. Um, look, the Republicans have been also blocking support for state and local government. Those coffers are dry as a result of what's been happening this last year, and we learned out back again in two thousand and nine how important it was to provide those resources at the state and local level. Uh, and so as But uh, President Biden said he's open to listening. But right now he's fighting for everyone. And I don't see him giving that up in the short term. I don't see him giving that up actually. Uh, He will always fight for every single American.
2: Valerie, it's uh, it's Joe Kern. It's good to see you. It's been a while. You're back. You're back. Well, you didn't go anywhere. anywhere, But uh, back on the show, it's it's good to see you. Um, The the, the CBO numbers where they talk about 1.4 million minimum of jobs being lost. So those people aren't going to help, uh, uh, obviously, the economy if that were to happen. If if in parts of the country where fifteen dollars doesn't make sense, uh, if the CBO says you lose one point four million, the minimum wage is zero for those people. And and you know as well as anyone, a lot of these uh, these are entry level jobs that give uh, like college kids or or people that some are employed, whatever it is, that they're able to get that, that first job, and then they eventually move up to where they're making, above where the minimum wage uh, is anyway. I mean, there is a controversy about what this actually will do to employment, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm just wondering, do you dismiss the CBO numbers as, as fantasy that, that jobs would be lost?
1: Well, I think what we have to keep in mind is this is going to be graduated over time. And so I do think that it is important to to recognize that if you look at what the longer term effect is going to be on the economy, the economists that surround the president, some of the smartest in the country, believe there will be a net increase in jobs. And so that's the perspective I think we have to take the long term and to recognize, again, we have not raised the minimum wage since 2009. So I don't know what you say to those Americans who are struggling today. And so... Raising it will in, will be graduated, and it will ultimately benefit our economy and have a net increase in jobs.
4: Valerie, we're almost out of time, but very quickly, if you're looking at the first 100 days, what would be your measurement of success if, if this bill gets passed, if it gets passed with all those components?
1: Look, I think um, what we're looking at are what are the metrics that reflect the desires of the American people How many vaccines are actually getting into arms? Are we reaching communities that are hard to reach where there is vaccine hesitancy? Is the president fulfilling his commitment to close the equity gap to make sure that we are treating all Americans fairly? Is he able to get a package through that benefits the vast majority of Americans? And so I don't think there's a litmus test on each individual component of the package. I think what Americans are going to sit around in 100 days and say, is our country on the right track? Is President Biden focusing on our needs? Is he helping us meet our ends and make sure that we can provide for our families? And do we feel as though we're making progress? No one is expecting this pandemic to be over in 100 days. No one's expecting the economy to be fully rebuilt, but are we on the right track? I think we certainly are.
4: It is really good to see you. Thank you for your time today, Valerie.
1: Thank you all.
0: Coming up on Squawk Pod, the hottest new way to list, not all it's backed up to be, How an ex-Tesla employee's effort to debut is showcasing yet another tale of two investors, those on the inside and everyone else.
3: It just, to me, represents so many of the different issues that need to get figured out. SPACs may very well become an important part of the market over the long term, but there's so many different component parts that need a little bit of fixing and maybe some disclosure.
5: You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC.
0: Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
3: We've got another story that to me is is, is it's sort of in Bitcoin land. I don't, does anybody have a bell? You could ring the bell. This could might be the day to ring the bell uh, on SPACs. I don't have a bell here, unfortunately, to, that I could mm-hmm. hold on to. There, there we go. Something. There you go. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, electric vehicle firm Lucid Motors planning to go public via a SPAC. It'll combine with Churchill Capital Corp Four, of course, that's a blank check company started by investment banker Michael Klein. Shares of that blank uh, check company are plunging this morning. That's why I said you might want to ring the bell on this down thirty seven percent, thirty eight percent. They had already run up more than three hundred percent in two months on the buy the rumor, sell the news trade. Uh, Lucid is led by uh, an ex Tesla engineer uh, executive, uh, Peter Rolson. Was expected to deliver its first vehicle this spring, and uh, you can see the run-up in SPAC enthusiasm reflected in our CNBC SPAC 50 index. But you know we've talked about the different alignments or misalignments of interest when it comes to SPACs. This is one of those stocks that had run up to about $60. People were buying it, 40, 50, 60 dollars. It's probably now uh, you can see you can see where it is. It's, it's trading effectively at $35, but it 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 had, it popped on this big expectation. Yet. Pipe investors. So the way a SPAC works, when 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 the SPAC sponsor effectively de SPACs and buys something else, they bring in pipe investors. Well, what price did the pipe investors get in at last night? At $15. So they were buying at $15 while they were literally watching retail buying this at $40, $50, and $60. And so when people say, Do, are SPACs aligned with your interests, uh, a lot of a lot of folks are getting caught out. They're on Reddit, they're on Twitter, they're on all these sites. <laughs> they, they don't seem to either. Yeah. And I hate to say this. That, it seems to be a misappreciation is. for how this works. Now, some people are saying, you know, actually, this is exactly this is like this is like um, an IPO anyway. You know, people would get in the, the, the professionals and institutions would get in at their the equivalent of their pipe price. And we're still getting our opportunity in later. Maybe that's the case. But um, I think it's a completely different story to be able to, to actually see literally. The black stones of the, and black rocks of the world, I say black rocks of the world are looking, seeing the retail buying it at double the price, and they're able to buy it yesterday. I mean, anyway, it, it just to me represents so many of the different issues that need to get figured out. Spacs may very well become an important part of the market uh, over the long term, but there's so many different uh, component parts that 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 need a little bit of fixing and maybe some disclosure. Mm-hmm. And, and ask not. For whom the bell rings. For whom the bell tolls. That's not.
0: That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what you think. We're on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow.